Good morning. How's everyone doing? Good. Uh, my name's Eric. If you don't know me, uh, we'd love to get to know you and connect with you out in the courtyard uh, at the Welcome Center and give you a gift and help you, you know, just connect to our church. Um, also, at 1145, we're going to have a church family business meeting. Um, everyone is invited. Uh, only members are able to vote. And that we also have lunch provided and child care. So that's 1145. If you want to hang out here, go to the cafe, um, you know, go on a quick date with your wife or something, come back. That's up to you. Uh, but it's always good uh, to see what's going on in the life of the church. And then also mark your calendars on September 11th. That's when we're going to officially kick off. We'll kick off in the book of Matthew. Um, as you can see, there's lots of new faces in our church. Church is growing. We're excited about that. And one of the ways that can kind of help everyone get to know each other is there's some name tags uh, in front of you at the pews. All the introverted's just freaked out. I get it. I get it. Um, I would do the same thing. And so our goal is not to invade your space, right? Our, our goal is that you would be known and that you would know other people. Um, and especially me, I'm terrible with names, so I'll probably get your name wrong 50 times before I get it right once, so I apologize. Uh, but that's just a part of getting to know each other and seeing who's here and being able to know each other's name. So it might seem a little crazy if you're introverted, but I encourage you to do it. So uh, with all of that, before we get to Matthew, uh, we're in, uh, we always do like a mini series right before, and we call it Better Together. And it's just this idea that um, we're not meant to live in isolation as Christians. We're meant to live in community. And, and so part of that is we try to set our year and give you a couple weeks to just look at all the different ways you can be uh, in some type of community uh, going through the Word of God. And whether that's men in a men's group or women in a women's group or couples together, uh, a connection class on Sunday morning, uh, we try to have multiple ways for you to connect and just continue to understand God's Word deeper. And so uh, we encourage you to do that. We have the ability for you to sign up out in the courtyard. So that's kind of what's going on. You're like, man, it looks different. What's going on? And so that's kind of the stage that's set. Um, this morning's text it's great for better together, but really, um, I try not to say this too much, but I really, I really believe it. This will be one of the more important sermons you probably hear. You know, God's Word's perfect, but I think what, what's going on in our culture is, is the Word of God has been either diminished, um, forgotten, uh, it's been kind of warped into something it's not, and it's very important we understand what, what in theology you'd say the clarity of Scripture, or for you engineer, doctors out there, the perspicuity of Scripture, right? It is the absolute that Scripture is clear. And so when we, when we walk away from that, um, so many things get lost because the Bible doesn't become our guide. So this is just a great text to always come back to and be like, you know what? God has spoken. It is clear. And I need to stick to what He has written Himself. And so that's what we're going to do this morning is, you know, it's good as a rally text for us uh, to start our year. But bigger than that, it's, it's really a roadmap to say, man, the Word of God is so important and it is so clear and I need to be dedicated to that. Um, and that's also, you know, one of the reasons you'll see, you know, in, in our business meeting today, we're working through making the statement of faith even more clear. Um, our society has muddied a lot of terms, hasn't it? And so the things that you used to be able to just think we agreed upon, you can't. And so we're trying to be really clear that this is what God's Word says and this is what we believe. And as society gets crazier, just more and more clarity is needed. And so what better way 
to get clarity than to go straight to God's word and see what he says. Uh, So I'm going to pray, and then we'll go ahead and hop in our text. Dear Jesus, we thank you so much uh, for your word. We thank you that it's it's clear. Uh, We don't have to guess. We don't have to wonder. There will always be this tension of uh, you are infinite and we're finite, and and trying to understand an infinite sovereign God is, is hard. Um, but that doesn't mean that there's not things that we can't know. Uh, you've revealed yourself through your word, and just what a blessing that is. And so I pray we would cherish that, that we would uphold your beauty, your glory. We would uphold uh, our Father, our King, uh, in a way you deserve, and in, in the way you tell us to, really. And so we love you, and we thank you, and uh, we just pray that your word would speak and that I wouldn't. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Also, we have a podcast coming out on Tuesday, if you kind of want to get deeper into uh, just some of the muddiness coming into the church through mysticism and new age. And so, yeah, I encourage you to listen to that. So let me kind of walk you through this, just think through this. So uh, the Bible, there's different problems people have with it. All kinds of excuses why people don't want to read it, um, their problems with it. And, and so let, let me reframe this uh, in a different context, and then see if we, oh, that makes a lot of sense. So imagine your spouse, we'll, we'll assume in this scenario, the wife has written a book, and she's written a book that says, everything you need to know about me is in this book, right? That would be exciting, actually, if any of you wives want to do that. Your husband would appreciate it. Um, but imagine she writes this book, it's like, everything you need to know. And then she goes to give it to her husband, and he's like, no, I'm good. I know I just need to love you and love, and love the kids. That's it. I don't need to know anything else. Now, do you think it's safe to say the, the wife's probably top two commandments would be love me and love the kids? Yeah, okay, we're right, right? We're, we're thinking this morning, that's good. Right? Yeah, it probably would be. And how would you feel if your husband was like, I don't need to read that. I already know I need to love you and I need to love the kids. Wouldn't it be like, you're missing the point? Wouldn't there be some of that in, in your mind? And like, I thought you loved me. I thought you cared about me. So like, yeah, I do. Well, then wouldn't you want to know about me and know the things that I would like and the things that, you know, would build our relationship? No, I'll, I'll love you and I'll love the kids. But what entails loving me and loving the kids? What does it mean to love me? What are the things that I say, this is how I feel loved? Well, I don't care about that. I'll just love you in the way that I think you want to be loved. This breaks down really quick, doesn't it? Okay, so part of the problem is, you know, the Bible is authoritative. Absolutely. I don't want to diminish that. It's absolutely authoritative. But it's also highly relational. God has spoken and he said, this is, this is how you love me. I mean, it comes right out of our text, right? Love, love him with all your heart. Right? Verse 15, by loving the Lord your God walking in his ways, walking with him. This is a relational deal. I will be your God. You will be my people. All this imagery of citizens and kingship and father and children, it is a relational deal. God says, I've revealed myself to you in my word so that you can not just obey, but know me. Know how I say you love me. And the reason it's so important is some people kind of treat it, just love God, love people. I don't need to worry about reading the Bible. What else is there to know? Everything's summarized like that. There's tons to know. Because God is so specific on how we actually love him. 
And notice through this text, love and obedience are never separated. It's loving him through obedience. And so to, to, to say I don't need to read the Bible because I kind of already know what it says, that's just, it's an oversimplification. And you're missing the other part of it is to be relational. That we want to know our God. We want to know our creator. We want to know who he is and what he said. Um, maybe another way to kind of look through this is, um, I'm probably dating myself here because I know I look really old, is if you guys, do you guys remember the, the baby Bible? I don't remember what it was called, but like when our generation was coming up with your first kid, there was like a book and all the moms would read it, right? And the thing was like this thick, it was like baby wise or something, right? And so they would read through it every little detail because the moms wanted to get every little thing right because you don't want to mess up your first chance at a human, like having a human. And you're like, you don't want the kid to die. You don't, you know, there's all these things. So it's like from plastics to sleeping material to no, like how do you feed, what diapers. Am I crazy? You guys know what I'm talking about? Okay, thank you. So I was just, I was trying to, I can't remember the name of it, but my point is this, is that when you are about to have this relationship, you're like, I want to do everything I can, know everything I can, so that this relationship goes well. We want it to start right, because you care. And so I think in, in just all these different ways, it's not crazy to think information goes hand in hand with a good relationship, that we have knowledge of the person, that we have knowledge of who they are, what they want, and that desire. In this case, the beautiful thing is that God's perfect and he's unchanging, so there's no second edition rewrite part two. That's good news, isn't it? Because I guarantee you if your spouse rewrote it, what worked in year five doesn't work in year 30, right? We change, we have different interests, different likes, all of those things. And so I think part of the problem is we don't see the Bible as relational. That literally God's saying, hey, my word's in your heart. I'm giving you a new heart. That's back in chapter 30, a few verses up. Uh, I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to be with you. I want you to obey me. And I, I want you to hold fast to me down in, in verse 19 and 20. So there's all these relational keys. So I want you to see it's not just an authoritative text. It's a relational text. And we want to know our God. Second, as some people say, it's just too hard. It's just too hard to understand. And, I, and let's be honest, like initially when you're reading your Bible, there are some parts, you know, if you're in Leviticus or you're in Numbers, like what's going on? Um, but that's not the whole Bible. There's parts that's pretty clear. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. That's not confusing, is it? You see, and so there, there are some hard parts, let's be honest. But it's like anything. If you start to watch football for the very first time, you're like, what's a first down and why are there four? And why is it called football when they don't use their feet, right? Like you're using all these terminologies and downs. And game, any, any game, anything, picking up the terminology can be weird. And, and so it takes a little bit of time, but that doesn't mean you just give up on it. It doesn't mean you say, oh, I, I, you know, that's too hard for me to know. I can't do it. Uh, that kind of leads to, in the New Testament, you see this a lot, called Gnosticism. Like, you can't know God, so like, why try? It's like, no, that's too simple. You can't know God completely. Why? Because he's infinite, more finite. He's the creator, we're the created. And so to a degree, there will always be this, man, I can't wrap my hands all the way around it. But God says you can wrap your arms around some things. And isn't it good that we'd want to know those things? Yeah, absolutely. The other thing we've kind of done in our culture, um, 
fancy words, but you'll get the idea as I flesh it out. It's called process theology, right? God is always in process. God is growing and God is learning and God is evolving. And, and so to read his word is like, well, it's old. That was then. He's, he's a new God now. You know, there's the internet and there's Google and there's phones and we get on rocket ships and, you know, we go to space. And, and so we're always learning God, then his book is outdated. That was for then, it's not for now. And so there's pieces that can help us and there's parts that can help us. And, and so the Bible kind of becomes less and less of a, an authoritative role in our life and a relational access to the Father. And it just becomes like a book of suggestions. It's just really old and antiquated. And I use this illustration a lot, but I just, I want it to really sink in. If God can create the universe, then he can write a book and have it be true forever. That's a fair comparison, don't you think? Speaking the ocean into existence is much harder, in my opinion, right? Than, than creating a, a book that, that communicates clearly what he says. And, and the text even tells you right here in verse 11, it is not too hard for you. I'm not making that up. It really says it, doesn't it? Neither is it far off. It's not so far out in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven? It's not so far in the ocean. It's like, man, God's talking to us, but it's way out there. It's saying it's not that hard. It's really not. And so it's important we realize God's made himself available through his word. And we need to get to his word. The second part of it is that we need to understand we're the ones who make it messy. We're the ones who want to change it and, and change what he says. But understanding God is unchanging and there's certain things we don't want to change, I would hope. Like, do we ever want it to be okay to steal? I hope not. I'm trying to give you guys softball questions here, right? Okay, so the stealing, murder, like cheating on your spouse, like I hope these are like no-brainers. Uh, but there's these, well, there's other things. Well, marriage is more complex now. Somehow biology is more complex now, right? All these math is more complex now. Two plus two might equal four, it might not. And it's like God never changed from the beginning. He is who he is and what he said is what he said. We're the ones who want to change it and we're the ones who want to somehow make it unclear. And so I think we have to start with that premise is that we're the ones that want to change God, not that God needs to change himself. And I mean, think of it this way. They, they had the same struggles back then. I mean, Adam and Eve had been created all of but like a week, and they're like, well, did God really say that? Well, things are different now. We've existed a week. You know what I mean? You're, you're, in, you're, you're out of Egypt. You're like, okay, you know, God rescued us. That's great. But like, now we've seen other kingdoms and other things. Now we need to make our own God because why? Times have changed. And God's like, no, no, no. I've communicated to you. You have what you need. Think you're in the New Testament. You're like, that's Old Testament, right? We have roads now and ships. And we have literature and you can read. Do you think they didn't go through some type of technology thing? Like, well, yeah. But that was like hundreds of years ago. It's like different now. And God's like, no, it's not different. I created. I'm in charge. Listen to me. Love me. We're no different than, than the people in the Bible who look and go, well, well things got to be different, right? And you say, no, 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 no. Walk with me. It's in your heart. It's not hard. It's not far. It's not different. 
Because the reality is, if we don't go to God's word for our guidance, our, I don't want to use this word, but like lack of a better term, like rules, everyone lives by rules. Do we agree with that? Okay. Even if you don't live by rules, that's a rule. Right? Okay. That's, that's where it's like everyone. So where do those rules come from? Who is the author of those rules? And what do you do when those rules collide with other people's rules? As I was doing some research, I came across uh, just the modern day Ten Commandments. Um, I don't have time to go through all of them, but I'll read you a couple. I just want you to see like just the absurdity of it. Because it's like if, if the argument is the Bible's hard and it's crazy, like imagine trying to flesh some of these out. Okay, uh, Commandment 5 says, God is not necessary to be a good person or live a full and meaningful life. So here, here's what I want you to think about. If God's not necessary to be good, who qualifies what good is? And if everyone makes their own definition and everyone thinks they're good, then doesn't that mean there's no such thing as bad? Right? If you get to determine your own good, and every, everyone would call themselves good, I would think, then it's like, then what's the point of there even being a good? Because everyone just does what's good in their own eyes. So then there's not really a good. It's just an is. I'll let you guys think about that one. Okay, eight. We have the responsibility to consider others, including future generations. Now, here's, here's my question. That makes sense. You need to be considerate. But again, says who? Who says you need to be considerate? And doesn't that go against survival of the fittest? Eat or be eaten? Isn't the highest good to survive? So why would I care about other people if it gets in the way of my surviving? And what if my way of protecting the future is killing the present? See, these these rules, they they, they have problems. They sound good and they're fancy, but they fall apart. Then rule nine is there's no one right way to live, but you're telling me the way to live through the ten. You see what I'm saying? Like you walk your way through this, it's like, well, I don't want to read the Bible. You know, I don't want it to tell me what to do. Or it's confusing. It's hard. It's antiquated. And it's like, well, the Bible's the only book, the only book that can give you a sustainable way to look at life. All these things fall apart. Last one is uh, leave the world a better place than you found it. Who gets to determine better? Right? Like if it's by me, we're all going to be SC and Laker fans. That's a better than I found it, right? Like, there we go. You guys are with me, right? But that's me defining better. You're like, well, who, who made you decide? Well, the rule is I get to decide. And so if you're, if you're not going to go to the Bible for guidance, and you're not looking through a perfect God giving you that guidance, where does your guidance come from? Where do your rules come from? And who gave you permission to do that? And what do you do when you disagree with others? This is why God's saying, like, look, this is not hard. It's hard to execute, but it's not hard to read. It's there. You don't need to go far. And I've put it in your mouth, verse 14, and in your heart so that you can do it. Okay, so we're getting beat up a little bit. I get it, but that should come for you. I said, you can do this. I've given you a heart. I've given you my word. New Testament, you're going to have the Holy Spirit. Isn't it somewhat encouraging? Like, this is doable. Okay. Next objection might be this, you know? Why doesn't God just speak? It'd make everything so much easier. 
You ever hear people say that? Well, if, again, we agree the Bible tells us what we should do. Exodus 20, 19 always makes me laugh. Right? He says this, and they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. God was so scary in his thunderous voice. They're like, we don't ever want to have that conversation again. You know, I, I think we, we forget in, in the Old Testament, in, there's these clear pictures that Moses is like, hey, I want to see you. And God's like, if you see me, you'll die. He's like, but no, really, I want to see you. He's like, no, seriously, you'll die. And, and so it's like, show me, show me, show me. God's like, you can't handle. Right? He's infinite. He's perfect. He's glorious. So he said, I've given you these ways that you can interact with me through prayer, through his word, through seeing creation. So, so that he's, he, we don't want that. And even if he did, we would still say, was that him or was that me? Was I dreaming? Was it a good dream, bad dream? It, it wouldn't really solve our problem. So then he's like, well, we just don't like reading. That's a lie. We read text messages, don't we? Right? And lots of them in emails. If your kid goes to school, you probably spend at least 15 minutes a day reading all the emails. Right? Because there's always an update and they're changing a policy. I'm not picking on schools. I'm just saying. You do a lot of reading as a parent. If you watch sports, you do a lot of reading. Right? Anything almost involved. It's not that we don't like reading. It's that we don't like reading our Bibles. Question is, on why? Oh, I already know what it says. Love God, love people. Why haven't we already agreed that's not a very good relational position, is it? So, looking at our text, God's very clear. It is not too difficult. It is not far. You can do it. Then he, he hops in and he says, I want you to see this. See, I have set before you today life, good, death, evil. He said, I'm showing you what matters. I'm showing you what is good and what is evil. So the solution then is to take God at his word, to love him by obeying with him, to walk with him, and to do what he says. And so here's kind of maybe a rational defense for you to think through. Now, it's more of a moral argument for God's existence, but I want you to more think through it as an apologetic for why the Bible is important, because it works both ways. So we would start with this premise. Is there an absolute evil? Is there evil? Meaning, are there things that are always wrong? Like, is it always wrong to kill people? Not like revenge, stand up for, or not like defend yourself, your country. Like, just kill someone. That should always be wrong, shouldn't it? Okay. So if there's an absolute wrong, that means there's an absolute right. Or if there's an evil, there's a good the good, it's always good to be nice. It's always good to love people. It's all, you want that to be an absolute, wouldn't we? Okay, so you have an absolute evil, an absolute good. Then you have an absolute law that tells you what's good and evil. Otherwise, how do you know? You guys tracking with me? Okay, so then the question, this is the key question, is who then becomes the moral law giver? So if we're the moral law givers, I think we can understand this. We're always a majority vote away from stealing and murder being okay. You guys see that? We kind of saw this through the COVID era, didn't we? You get enough people together and anything becomes okay. 
Because you have the power, you have the mass, you have it. So at any time, and we've seen this throughout history, right? Germany got a bunch of people together and decided some things were okay. We remember our history books, that's still there, right? So you look through that, it's not outside, you know, the, the realm of possibility that the things we think are absolute won't be absolute, that they could change. Okay? So in order for a moral law to be infinite or absolute, the moral law giver needs to be infinite, absolute, perfect, right? it, it, you know, above the law, meaning he's always good and he's all powerful. God fits that bill, doesn't he? Okay, so if God's the moral law giver, here's the thousand dollar question. Has he communicated the moral law? Yeah, he has. Where has he communicated it? In his word. So, so if we're in agreement that there's an evil and a good, a moral law that communicates it from a God, then where has that God communicated it? In his word. Then why wouldn't we go there? Isn't that a fair question? Why wouldn't we go there? And you see, here's the thing about why I framed it that way. This, this whole, this is what I mean. It's like, oh yeah, go there. It tells us. Then why do we subscribe to things like you be you? That's not in the Bible. Do what makes you happy. That's not in the Bible. It becomes our guide. It's like, yeah, the Bible's true. It's that, but there's all these parts of society and culture and we allow them to be a part of the moral law. It's like, no, God's the moral law giver. That's what he says. Look, I give you life, death, good, evil. Moral law giver. Do what I say. Verse 15, by loving the Lord, by walking in his ways, keeping his commands, his statutes, and his rules. Let's go back to our illustration with the spouse. Let's say your wife writes down, I want you to say I love you every day. And so you adhere to that for three, three years. And the beginning of the fourth year, She's like, hey, why don't you say I love you anymore? You're like, well, I figured I've already said it enough. Why do I need to say it anymore? It's like, but I wrote it in the book so you would know this. Yeah, but I just figured, like, you know I love you. Do I really need to say it? It's like, you're, you're, you're all, why, what makes you think you can reinterpret what I wrote? It's my book. The more I think about it, I want to write a book. But anyways, like, you work your way through this, and it's like, well, yeah, that's what I'm telling you how I know you love me. That's what I'm telling you I want you to do. It, it, authority, I think sometimes we get like, eh, I don't want to be told what to do, but do you love God? It's like, well, yeah, well, he says, if you love me, you'll obey me. If you love me, you'll do what I say. If you love me, you'll know me. You'll be in a relationship. And what happens is we let society kind of change God to be more like us so that we'll like him more. Again, loving him through our lens. And so part of this is, okay, we got to take God's word at face value. we got to do what it says, but then we have to keep the definitions clear. God says we love him through obedience, not through living our best life now. Right? That's what it says in the text, doesn't it? Keeping the rules, the commandments, and the statutes, walking with him, holding fast to him, choosing him, obeying him all the days of our life. And so we have to be very cognizant. What does God say? 
And in, in our culture, it's very important we understand this. They're changing what it means to be a Christian. So that's why clarity is so important. You can't just say God's sovereign anymore. Because what some people mean is, yes, God's all powerful, but he doesn't know the future. Well, that kind of has a big problem with sovereignty, doesn't it? And doesn't God say he knows the beginning to the end? Okay, see, these are the kind of things like why I say absolute truth. That's an absolute claim. I know the beginning to the end. So, oh, what God really meant is he knows right now. How is that a fair interpretation of that? Okay. Oh, yes, Jesus, he, he died on the cross for my sins. But he didn't pay for them. Well, then why did he die? To show me how much he loved me. Well, if nothing bad was going to happen to you, why did he need to die for you? It's like me telling you guys, I'm going to go run out and take a car in traffic for you. And you're like, but pastor, the car's not going to hit us. I know, but I just want you to know what I would do for you. And then I die, and you're like, why did he do that? Well, because he wanted to show us he loved us. Well, was the car going to hurt us? No. No harm was going to happen. He just wanted to put that image clear in our head. You see some problems here? Hell's real, but, but hell is separation from God. It's not a real place. Well, doesn't the Bible say eternal punishment? Well, yeah. Well, the, the punishment is you don't exist anymore. Well, if you're not existing, how can you be punished? You don't exist. It's like telling your imaginary friend they can't come to dinner. Right? I'm punishing you. They don't exist. Okay? But this is what I'm saying. They're changing terms. Oh yeah, the Bible, we believe in inerrancy. In the message. And the salvation part, that's right. But the history part, that's wrong. So they got the salvation part right, but the history wrong? Yeah. How does that reconcile? But, but they'll say, yeah, we believe in sovereignty. Yeah, we believe in the cross. We, we believe in hell, and we believe, you know, the word of God is inerrant. We don't mean the same things. We have made it hard. God has not. And this is why it's so important. This is, get to verse 17 now. It says, but if your heart turns away, you will not hear. You catch that? You will not hear. But are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them. Bible's pretty clear about marriage. It's pretty clear about gender. It's pretty clear about a church and its structure and its authority. It's clear about God's nature. Then why do we change it? Because our heart gets drawn away. Our heart gets drawn away. And we're like, well, God, that's difficult. That seems hard. Well, maybe you meant this. Maybe, maybe it's this. And so we create our own rules and our own passions and we serve them. And we try to blend our Christianity with this new that's why the podcast is good to go to. This kind of new age, newism. And it's like God says, it's, it's clear, it's written for us, for our good, that we would have life and not evil and not death and have relationship with him. You know, it's just some other supporting passages. Like, what does God's word say about itself? So we can see this. 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is breathed out by God. So here's the thing, if God wrote something, wouldn't that mean it's perfect? It should, right? So if it's perfect, 
then it doesn't need to be added to. It's like telling your wife, oh, you look so perfect, but I would change this, 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 and that. But you look amazing. I thought you just said it was perfect. Oh, it is, but you're missing these four or five things. Then it's not perfect. All Scripture, and does it say some Scripture? No, all Scripture is breathed out by God. Profitable teaching. So that's good. But here's where people, this is where, reproof and correction. It's not, here's the thing, morals, moral truths don't evolve. Technology doesn't change the fact that it's wrong to divorce your spouse, that it's wrong to murder, that it's wrong to get drunk, that it's wrong to disobey the Lord. Technological advances don't change that. Circumstances don't change that. It's not like, oh, well, now we have psychology and we have science. That doesn't change that God spoke and he told us to listen. The Bible is full of absolutes, and we're to live under the authority of those absolutes. That's why it reproves, and that's why it corrects for training in righteousness, right relationship with God. It's like the Word of God is there to put you and keep you in right relationship. Now, our sins are paid for, so we're not an enemy of God, but we are His children, and we still have sin, and we still disobey. And so it's like the Word of God's to help you maintain the relationship. That's why it's good to see the Bible as authoritative, but we also have to see it as relational. God's spoken to help us love him, be like his son Jesus, and do that. And it's part of why we have this is to do it together. Because the reality is all of us fit within this passage that our heart sometimes wants to wander. See, the problem is we just don't want to do what God says. And so sometimes we ignore the Bible or we try to make the Bible say what we want it to say. And that's why it's good we have Bible studies. You know, one of the things unique to our church is we don't do a ton of, you know, some guy's book. Those are great and there's a place for them. But the primary thing we need to do is take God's word and bury it in our hearts. That's Psalm 119.11 repackaged. We need to be there over and over and over again so it doesn't wander. And when there's other people, it's like, I don't know if I see, you know, you only live once in the text. Oh, no, it's there, I promise. Maybe we should keep looking. Right? I don't see anywhere it says, I, don't, I need to go to church. Well, let's, let's go to Hebrews and walk through that. Let's go to Acts 2.42. Let's look at the very first foundation in the church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What did the apostles teach? All that Jesus commanded. What did Jesus command? God's word. Right? Work your way through that fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer. Here's the key word. They devoted, devoted, absolute, just intense, intense dedication to what does God's word say? Not because we want to be legalistic, because we want to love the Father. We want to live in relationship with the Son. This is why it says, choose life that your offspring may live. 20, Loving the Lord, obeying his voice, holding fast to him, for he is your life and the length of days. God says, hold fast to me. Walk with me. These are relational terms, aren't they? But can you imagine if your kid said, hey, I want to live in your house, but I don't want to obey your rules? So what you're saying to God is like, hey, I want to live in heaven with you, but I don't want to obey your rules. That doesn't really work in that relationship, does it? 
If it does, tell your kids, and I want to know how it goes. You guys get to live here, but you don't have to listen to anything I say. Because that's the loving thing to do. Let the people without fully formed brains be in charge, right? Like, sorry, I'm not picking on kids, but you get what I'm saying. We're the same thing. Let us be in charge. God's like, why? I'm perfect, not you. You're sinful. You're created. You're clay. I'm the potter. I've written it down for you. It's not hard. It's there. It's near. The hard part is doing what it says. It's not overcomplicated. Okay? Look at verse 1, 18 through 21 of Romans. It's, a, it's another way to look at this. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. It's saying that God has created us to live according to his truth. We intrinsically or inside we know, God says he's created all people to know that there's something wrong about what I'm doing. This is why when Adam and Eve sin, they hide. Nothing was written down yet, but intrinsically they knew like, oh man, we did something wrong. We need to hide. We're in trouble. God said no, and we said yes, and that's a problem. He says, everyone knows that, but they suppress it. No, it's fine. It's fine. doesn't matter. Right? God was hiding from us. All these excuses. Verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, his divine nature, have been, here's the word, clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so they're without excuse. God says you can look at creation and there is no excuse because it clearly communicates someone created this. Someone created this. There's a creator. Even if you're an evolutionist, right? Just think through this really quick. If you have matter or particles, those particles had to come from somewhere or they're eternal, self-sustaining, and uncreated. That sounds like God, doesn't it? So what's he saying? You can't get all of this without some type of creator. Say, look, there's a creator and it's obvious. He's putting the truth in the hearts. You need to obey. Keep working your way. 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God, give thanks to him, but they became futile, futile in their thinking and their foolish, foolish hearts were darkened. And say, man, the foolishness in our thinking when we don't honor God as the one who made the moral law. That God is the one who designed marriage. He designed parenting. He designed that there's going to be kings and kingdoms. And he tells us how to act as aliens in those kingdoms, as citizens of heaven, not citizens of earth. It's like, I've told you everything you need. So, so the vision of this is that imagine what it's like to just hold fast to the word of God. To, to, to see your Bible as a way to know God more intimately and completely, not as a way to be legalistic and beat you and just show you how terrible you are, even though the Bible does do that, right? But the beautiful thing is, is, is what God is asking is not divorced of a relationship. There's an absolute relationship. It's like, I'm telling you what to do because I love you. Because I want what's best for you. It just doesn't feel like it because you're sinful and I'm perfect. So I'm going to send Jesus and he's going to show you what it's like to be faithful. He's going to show you what it's like to be obedient. 
He's going to show you what it's like to, to be obedient even unto death. I'm going to show it to you. I'm going to create it for you. And I'm going to write it down for you so you can always know what I want from you, what I require of you, how I'm going to love you, what your purpose is, and where ultimately your destiny is. That's a loving God, isn't it? And so it's a big shift all of a sudden when the Bible stops being like this thing I have to do and says like, wow, this is relationship I get to enter into. And because it's unchanging, you don't have to worry about there being an extra chapter, a new command, a new verse. He's written it down for us that we could always know what we need. That's why Ephesians 1 tells us we have everything we need. So I've written it down for you. So as we wrap this up, therefore choose life. Love God. Obey his voice. Hold fast to what he's given us. The clarity of scripture is so important. And we do the world a disservice when we think that we need Christianity separate from the word of God. That somehow we need to be the Bible's apologists. Oh yeah, it's old. Yeah, it has some weird. Yeah, don't, don't worry about all that. Just, just you need to love God, love people. Well, what does loving God look like? However you want it to look like. Whatever makes you comfortable. That doesn't seem very loving to do when God's clear that we're to obey him. Aren't we? So, so it's one of those things, man, the clarity of scripture. It's a comforting thing, but it also means there's a consequence. If it's clear, then we need to clearly do it and strive to do it. Some questions for us to think through. You know, what are some of the most common reasons you hear why people don't read their Bible? And again, I'm not trying to like create a bunch of legalists and go beat people with their Bibles. Like the pastor told me you have to do this, right? It's like, no, you're missing out on knowing your father. And I want you to know your heavenly father so bad. How can I help remove the obstacle so that you can get the goodness and, and the greatness that comes through knowing who God is and what Christ did for you. See, see how vastly different those are? Yeah. And so this isn't a combative question. It's, man, there's nothing better than just seeing how God has worked and who he is and how he sent Jesus to pay for our sin and that we get to go eternally to heaven and not eternally to hell. So how would you help someone in those objections? Whether it's, I don't like to read. The Bible's antiquated. I don't need to read the Bible. I already know what it says. Like, how would you do that? Two, why is biblical clarity so important? Because if we don't believe in it, we'll fill in the gaps and we'll mess it up. There has to be a belief that the Bible clearly communicates. What it needs us is to do what it says, not reinterpret it. Okay? Three, are you clear about what the Bible says on the issues in your own life? And this is what's great about being in the community when you're, when you're in a Bible study. It's not the Bible study leader saying, you need to be more like me and you should be doing this, this, and that. And you're like, well, who put you in charge? You're like, I did. It's like, no, we all come underneath the authority of God's word. God's word is the guiding principle. God's word is the absolute truth. And we live underneath its authority. Isn't that a comforting thing to know? God didn't create some of us smarter than others and better than others. He's saying, no, no, you all need to, no one's good enough, only Christ. And so what are the issues in your own life? You're like, man, I don't know if I'm biblical in this area. Parenting, marriage, finances, morality, job, whatever that is. 
Is it all underneath the Bible's authority? Four, why is it important to fact check what we learn with the Bible? What happens when we don't fact check? We believe things that the Bible never says. I mean, do do we realize that men died that we might have the word of God in our hands? Because there were religious leaders that didn't want the people to get the Bible because then they wouldn't be able to take advantage of them and steal their money. So men like William Tyndale hide translating the Bible, trying to get it written so that we can see, no, you're saved by grace. Christ died for you. He loves you. There's a way to be with God. You don't have to give him money. You don't have to earn it. You need to accept the gift of his son's payment. That's a big deal, isn't it? It was written so that we couldn't be taken advantage of. So that we could go and see for ourselves. So that if the pastor gets wonky and I'm like, hey guys, I really need a jet. Pastor appreciation's coming up and I need to pray more. And you guys are like, oh yeah, let's get him a G6. That'll work, right? Like, like, I don't see that in the scripture. I'm like, don't worry about it. Don't worry, that's, that's old book. New book, pastors have jets, right? Like, isn't it good you can go to God's word and be like, Eric, I don't see that there. Isn't that somewhat comforting? Okay, so this is why I'm important. It can get crazy quick. The word of God's there to hold us all accountable. Right? Why do you think people try to make the Bible so confusing that they cannot study it? Again, it's getting back to that, well, let's study it. What are the obstacles? How can we get away from it? Six, what does the Bible say about itself? It's an important thing. The Bible tells you it's authoritative. It tells you it's inspired. It tells you it corrects. It teaches. It reproofs. All of those things. Why is the Bible sufficient for our needs for life and godliness? And coming to that realization and then being a church that's dedicated together, coming underneath the authority of Scripture, clearly, as taught, is for our good. Do we see that? Amen. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. That you have communicated, and you've communicated clearly. What a beautiful thing that is. That you give us access to who you are. You tell us how to live. It's so gracious and kind. And we thank you. It's our prayer that we would thank you through song right now. That we would sing how great you are. That we have your words. That your words guide us. They give us life. We would hold fast to those words. And praise you for those words. And live according to those words. So we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.